Hello, Heat Rockers. On the occasion of the 10th anniversary of Kendrick Lamar's Section 80, we are bringing back one of our earliest episodes recorded back in year one with jazz composer and pianist Chris Bowers talking to us about this very seminal release by LA's own Kendrick. Hope you all enjoy. You are listening to Heat Rocks. I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. Each episode, we do a deep dive into a special album joined by a special guest. And this week, we'll be talking about Kendrick Lamar's Section 80. I wrote this record while 30,000 feet in the air. Steward is complimenting me on my nappy hair. If I can fuck her in front of all of these passengers, they'll probably think I'm a terrorist. Eat my asparagus, then I'm axing her thoughts of a young nigga. Fast money and freedom, a crash dummy for dollars. I know you dying to meet him. I probably die in a minute. Section 80 was the debut studio album for Kendrick Lamar, released in the summer of 2011. Up until that point, the Compton rapper had built his reputation on a string of mixtapes going all the way back to 2003, but Section 8 was the tipping point for his emergence on the national stage through songs like Hole Up, Rigor Mortis, Keisha Song. These didn't just boost his popularity. They helped to shape our understanding of Kendrick Lamar's personality as an artist, someone who was introspective, perceptive, and more than a little eclectic. In writing about Section 80 for Pitchfork, Tom Brian said that it, quote, stands as a powerful document of a tremendously promising young guy figuring out his voice. Now, speaking personally, Section 80 was certainly my introduction to Kendrick Lamar, especially when I first heard songs like ADHD, which you're listening to in the background right now. And I thought, who the hell is this guy? Eight doobies to the face, fuck that. Twelve bottles in the case, nigga, fuck that. Two pills in the halfway, nigga, fuck that. Got a high tolerance when your age don't exist. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. To talk about Section 80, we invited Los Angeles jazz pianist, composer, and arranger Chris Bowers. That song was Forget Her featuring Julia Easterlin from Heroes and Misfits. It was that album released in 2014 that introduced me to the music of Chris Bowers. And at a late night show at the Bootleg Theater in Echo Park, that for me sealed his genius. And I left there saying a few things, including uh, what Thelonious Monk said of Ornette Coleman. This guy is nuts. <laughs> Chris Bowers was born and raised in Los Angeles, fed a diet of jazz and soul music as a young'un by his parents who encouraged him to flourish. He studied at L.A. County High School for the Arts and then took his talents to Juilliard where he majored in jazz performance. Going on to win the prestigious Thelonious Monk International Jazz Competition, he's toured with some greats and since then has been burning up the scene as a composer and a producer scoring both Netflix, Dear White People, and Amazon's animated adaptation of Ezra Jack Keats' Snowy Day, for which he won an Emmy this year. And while we were sleeping, he was doing other big things, like being on Watch the Throne, uh, Nate Smith's Kinfolk, Richard Spavin's The Self, and Jose James' While You Were Sleeping, and a fire remix for Christian Rich's The High. He is a jazz wonderkind 
and an all-around cool kid, and my homeboy, Chris Bowers. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate that. So we're here to talk about Section 80, and in deciding you know, which Kendrick album we thought you might pick, perhaps the most obvious choice would have been either Good Kid or To Pimp a Butterfly, but you went with Section 80. Why Section 80? Well, um, it's funny. Morgan actually came to me with Section 80, I think specifically because I have this cover of Rigor Mortis that I put on YouTube. That song and that album was my introduction to Kendrick Lamar. I remember um, uh, my assistant, Sam, he actually wasn't my assistant at the time. He's just um, a family friend. He showed me uh, the video for Rigor Mortis uh, when it first came out. I think back, like you said, back in 2011. And I immediately was um, so viscerally moved by his approach to lyricism and rhythm. And and, uh, the track was just really mind-blowing. And it was also funny enough that the track actually sampled a, a song that was written by a teacher of mine named Eric Reed, and so it just kind of all felt very um, uh, exciting, and so I kind of became a, a fan instantly. That's what they telling me. Aim it at your celebrity. This is studio felony. Feral got me so many and cool enough for the 70s. Nigga, payback's a bitch. And bitch, you been living in debt with me. Dead, I'm all in especially. Leave a call on his mother voice. Mother, say that he rest in peace. Big old chopper, the recipe. Recipe. So had you heard him on you know one of his gazillion mixtapes prior to that? I think Overly Dedicated to come out maybe the year before um, Section 80. And again, he had sort of slowly built a rep the way a lot of artists did. It's not like he came fully formed to the universe. Right. But yeah, had you been, had you heard anything from him? prior to that no not at all and and actually uh actually no that's a lie I, right before i seen the video and and heard that track um i did a show with q-tip it was like the hip-hop festival in brooklyn the brooklyn mm-hmm. hip-hop festival and uh and kendrick lamar was performing that day and i remember walking through and it was like daytime so you know you usually don't pay attention to the artists that are there during the day and so we we're walking through and a friend of mine was like oh yeah this guy kendrick lamar he's really dope i was like oh, okay cool i'll check him out, out at some point yeah. but uh yeah, that was that was before he blew up. <laughs> Did he strike you as an inherently L.A. artist, as someone yourself who grew up in Los Angeles? Yeah, I think uh, that became more prevalent maybe in um, uh, in Good Kid, Mad City, yeah. given that it sounded very like uh, just threw me back to my my uh, youth in L.A. and like Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and that whole like kind of era of West Coast hip hop, and then also even more so with um, with uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, like it just reminded me a lot of. Uh, all the funkadelic stuff and and parliament and right. uh, I think a lot of stuff that again I grew up listening to and kind of being around. Um, I think that was kind of, those two tracks really made it feel like an LA artist or make him feel like an LA artist. That was going to be my question. What did you uh, besides jazz and and obviously soul? What kind of hip hop were you listening to growing up, or what were you attracted to hip hop wise? Hip hop wise, growing up, uh, my cousins my cousin's a rapper. His name is Murs, and so he was he was definitely. Um, uh, Although he was a family member, I was also a fan of him growing up. And he and his brother really introduced me to a lot of stuff. So we got to pump the brakes for a quick sec because <laughs> that's awesome, number one. They, Shout out to Murs. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Murs. And I'm guessing you're probably, what, maybe half a generation younger than him. So at what point mm-hmm. did yeah, you exactly. were, what at what point did you realize or were told, oh, by the way, your cousin Murs is a really well-known rapper out of Los Angeles? Pretty early. Like, my, my uh, his brother, Nate... Um, uh, he used to pick me up from school sometimes and like took me to concerts and he always would kind of like um, 
you know, bang that into my head, essentially kind of like playing me a bunch of Murs and stuff and kind of really making, making it known that, that my cousin was doing really dope stuff. And it wasn't until my parents were pretty strict about listening to explicit stuff when I was younger. Sure. Um, anything that I got that was, uh, you know, parental advisory, they would immediately take from me <laughs> and like, and buy me the clean version. Even when it was family? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I actually didn't see a MERS concert until I was probably like 16 years old, 17 years old. So that was pretty funny. Bringing this back to Kendrick, do you think of him as being a very quintessential L.A. artist or someone who maybe exists outside of any one city, besides the fact that he obviously references L.A. all the time? Yeah. But in terms of something about his artistry or his musicality, do you, is it, do you tie that in with something being as inherently L.A. or does he exist in sort of his own kind of bubble of of Kendrick Lamar you know, land or something like that. Yeah, I think a bit of both. You know, I think um, th- maybe the the heavy L.A. aspect is just the the production and the tracks and the way that they, they sound and the way that he sits on top of that and, and um, you know, the way that obviously the, that he raps. But I think um, as far as his artistry, I think that that itself is, is much bigger than just L.A. Yeah. Riding with the boys and girls and we're high. All we want to do is so off this album, right, off of Section 80, what to you is the fire track? What is the one that will always get you hyped? Uh, how about, it's tough. I guess hyped quote unquote i would say i would say rigor mortis just because like it just it baffles me every time just how ridiculous it is but as far as what hit me the strongest when i listened to the album was keisha's song just because like it was um again something to see an artist especially a rapper be so raw and so emotional and so honest um that was something else that made me feel like wow this is somebody to really pay attention to because i feel like that's that's um missing in a lot of art especially in rap because it's all about optics it's all about like saying how much i have and what i've done and all that kind of stuff and for him mm. to to really bear his soul and be unafraid to like um you know i think it's on that track that he's kind of crying at least and he's definitely done that in other tracks if it's not that track and, and to hear that is uh is just reassuring as an artist to, that it's okay to be honest and that if you don't um maybe adhere to the the again optics of being great that that you have these other moments of insecurity or, or sadness or whatever that, that that's okay to actually share in your art, you know, and I think that's something that's that's um lacking today. Just give it all to her daddy, but she don't know her father. That's ironic. See a black away from Ludus Park. I seen the El Camino Park and in her heart she hated it there, but in her mind she made it where nothing really matters. So she hit the back seat. Rosa Park's never a factor when she making ends meet. Fancy girls on Long Beach Boulevard. I think what I love about this is that not only does this song stand on its own for all the reasons, Chris, as you're laying out, but then Kendrick comes back an album later and references the same song and <laughs> yeah, sort, of, right. and sort yeah. of breaking the fourth wall in a sense because he's basically responding to the, the criticism that some people had about him seeming kind of condescending or a bit of a mansplainer, I guess, on Keisha's song. And then mm. that works its way um, into Sing About Me. 
You wrote a song about my sister on your tape and called it Section 80. The message resembled Brenda's got a baby. What's crazy was I was hearing about it, but doubted your ignorance. How could you ever just put her on blast and shit? Judging her passing shit. Well, it's completely my future. Her nigga behind me right now asking for ass and shit. It's like he's having this conversation, and I think something about just being willing to acknowledge the maybe mistakes were made, even though he gets to control the the discourse in a sense. But still, I mean, how many artists back-reference their own songs in that sort of Mm. kind of introspective and being open to some level of criticism kind of way? I mean, this really goes back to the point you were making. Yeah, for sure. I think it it shows such self-awareness to to, and and, um, unafraidness to to be able to do that. That's really impressive. But fuck that sorry for your lost shit. My sister died in vain, but what point are you trying to gain? If you can't fit the pumps, I walk in. I'll wait. Your rebuttal a little too late. And if you have an album date, just make sure I'm not in the song. Cause I don't need the attention. Bring enough of that on my own. And matter of fact, that I'm I see that a lot in his career in general. That he's he accepts criticism, but he's also very aware of his own flaws. I think in one song he says, you know, people wonder how I talk about money, God, and clothes and hoes all in the same track. So he's aware <laughs> that there's a little bit of a dichotomy, you yeah. know, in terms of theme, that he goes back and forth. And I like that self-awareness. I have never heard anyone go back to a song. Yeah. <laughs> They did before and reference it. So this is new for me. I'm certainly not in a way that's um, that allows for mistakes. If someone goes back, they're like, oh, I was dope on that song. Remember that song? I was so dope on that. This is <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Remember that jam? That jam was hot. Right. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. heard anyone say, I might have gone yeah. too far. You know what I mean? It's this also way. funny, going back to what you said about him um, uh, referencing all these different things in, in one song, it's funny to see even the, the album cover of Section AD has like, you know, it has like condoms and weed and then <laughs> right. bullets and the Holy Bible. Like, right. you know, it has all these things that that um, that um seem uh, juxtaposed against each other. But it's like, no, this is one person that actually really heavily uh, believes in or needs these different things. You right. know, and it's pretty awesome to, to show that. See, a lot of y'all don't understand Kendrick Lamar because you wonder how I could talk about money, hoes, clothes, God and history all in the same sentence. You know what all the things have in common? Only half of the truth. If you tell it, see, I spent 23 years on this earth searching for answers. Till one day I realized I had to come up with my own. I'm not on the outside. We will be returning to our rerun episode of Chris Bowers talking to us about Section 80 by Kendrick Lamar after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Hey, folks, it's me, James Arthur M., host of Minority Corner, your home through these bewild times for weekly doses of pop culture, history, news, nerdy stuff, and more through a BIPOC queer and allied lens. Y'all, we have been in a panorama for a whole I'm... year. The Ponder Replay has been going <laughs> for... 
We've been a Ponderosa for a year. <laughs> Wonder Woman doesn't even get to fly her own invisible jet. That was another thing. I was like, this is your jet. Think about the war on drugs. We must think of it as a war on black and brown and poor people to yes. only uphold the caste system of America. So join me and some of your new BFFs every Friday here on Maximum Fun to stay informed, empowered, and have some fun. Minority Corner, because together we're the majority. <laughs> And we are back here with a Heat Rocks rerun. This takes us all the way back to year one, where we had jazz composer and pianist Chris Bowers talking to us about Kendrick Lamar's Section 80, which turns 10 years this week. I'm wondering, where do you see Section 80 stacking up within his his broader catalog? I mean, now you know we have four or five albums deep to sort of compare it with. Where does this album stand relative to the other ones? I think it, it's... it's um... It's one of those things that that is like separate from the other ones, right? Mm. I think it's like it's his, in my mind, freshman album, and it's mm. kind of like his first statement. And so, therefore, I can't really put it up against these other albums because, like, this is somebody that was, you know, when, when it's your first album, this is your everything that your entire however many years you you lived in one album, and then um, the albums that come after that are like the things that you've thought about in the last year or two years or how you've grown since then. And so, I think it's um it's it's definitely up there very high but but uh again separate from all the other ones just because i feel like you can't compare them but anyway this for my niggas uncles 23 hours sending me pictures i want you to know that i'm so determined to blow that you hear the music i wrote hope it get you off death row you came home to a pocket full of stones a metro pc phone then you went back in so when i touch the pen the pen is in my view i'ma get it right just so you smoke good eat good live where were you in your life when you first encountered this album? What was going on for you? Wow, so 2011, I, I think it was right before before I had won the Monk competition. So I was I was in Juilliard. I, um, I was probably in my second year masters, maybe finishing my first year masters, and and um, kind of trying to figure a lot of stuff out, you know, because going to your first year masters, you're uh, about to face the real world pretty soon, mm. and and. Um, had I not won that competition, there were a lot of things that I was I was very fearful about having to really try to figure out. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I was, just like most college seniors or whoever's in your last year of school, trying to um, uh, just freaking out about the real world coming in on you, <laughs> closing in fast. For sure. <laughs> I'm tired of y'all, cause everybody lied to y'all, and you believe it, recognize them false achievements, it's treason, and I'm tiling all, I knock out when you knock it off. On the doors of opportunity, I'm too involved. I'm no activist, I'm no Einstein. Before calculus, I was kicking at math, dropping at science like an alchemist, and I'll be kicking at ass. We ask this um, of all our guests mm-hmm. because uh, obviously there are great jams on, on great albums, but there's always something that goes, you know, unclaimed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, unclaimed jams. So we have to ask you, uh, what's the unclaimed, what's the sleeper jam on this album that people just really don't know? is dope but it, it it actually really is i don't know that's tough i might be biased because like i feel like all the tracks are dope and i can definitely um every single track when it comes on i'm like oh yeah i, I remember listening to this very vividly but maybe oh, maybe like cushion corinthians maybe that's one that people don't reference as much that i still think is a really dope track 
As I hope in this book and then burn up some of this reef for my plan is to figure out the world and escape all my demons. I'm dying inside. I wonder if Zion inside the heavens. A condom, a rolly chain, a fat blunt, and a Mac 11. It's all I see in my life, and they tell me to make it right, but I'm right on the edge of Everest. And so, what is it about this song? Well, firstly, hearing it again, uh, I have to take back what I said about him not being an LA artist or me not thinking of him as an LA artist uh, sonically until later albums, because like that sounds a lot like. Uh, like fly low and like a lot mm-hmm. of other stuff that's very LA. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think like just the 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 way that the track is made and the way that he raps on the track is is again very reminiscent of fly low and like and Dilla the way that he like lays back and the way that yeah, the, the yeah. beat like really lays back on itself is really dope. Yeah. And then again, the uh, the battle between the the spiritual and the secular, Kush mm-hmm. and, and Corinthians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here we go again. I just I just got that. It will be. I wonder when I die, will he give me receipts? I wonder with the eyes of the Lord, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm a loser. I'm a winner. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm a Christian. I'm a sinner. I'm humble. I'm loud. I'm righteous. I'm a killer. What I'm doing? I'm saying that I'm human. Now people just ride to it. Let's talk about rigor mortis. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite tracks. Uh, my favorite track is actually Cushion Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, nice. But Rigor, so thank you for <laughs> shouting that out. <laughs> uh, but uh, Rigor Mortis is probably my second favorite, and that's in large part to the horns. Mm. The horns to me are the star of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm. Got me breathing with dragons, I'll crack the egg in your basket, you bastard. I'm merely Manson with madness. Now just imagine the magic I like to ask is don't ask for your favorite rapper. He did. Yes, sir. Amen. Chuch. He did. I killed him. Amen. Bitch. And this is rigor mortis. And, and once I realized what he was talking about, what he's really saying, mm-hmm. that I'm out here just like killing MCs, you're dead. <laughs> I'm deading you out here. Then the horns to me make it a battle rap. Mm. It's like it's almost like he could be walking into a boxing match that way. What I love about your reimagination of it is that it changes the mood and makes it more to me more contemplative, mm. a little bit of melancholy. Mm. It's elegance that you add to it. I want to know more about your decision to cover it and your thoughts about um, how you wanted to arrange it. Yeah, so um, originally a friend of mine, uh, the guy who actually shot the video, Lucas Alvarado, he... um, he and I have been talking about doing some sort of cover, and for me, it's very. Uh, I didn't really want to cover something that just happened to be like in the top ten charts that week, or you know, something that would uh, hopefully easily give me um, uh, views or whatever. I just wanted to pick something that actually spoke to me. And again, because that was my, because at the time Kendrick was one of my favorite artists, and and that was my favorite track of his, or at least the track that introduced me to him. I felt. Um, it was a perfect track, and and the fact that Eric Reed, my my teacher, had com- composed the track that um that sent that he sampled. And uh, as far as the contemplative approach, you know, I think that's for me that's that's uh, always there in all of Kendrick's more like bravado type 
tracks. You know, any track that he's talking about how great he is, I think there is this underlying, and I might be projecting it, but I think there's this underlying humbleness or underlying like um, uh, almost like poking fun at people that do that. And so I think that's something that um, that uh, has always interested me about him because it's like he can say that I'm one of the greatest rappers alive and and be uh, undeniably correct about that. But at the same time, I feel like he is so humbled by just um, the art of rap in general that he would never um, get too big headed, if that makes any sense. Right. I know. He did. Oh, sure. Amen. Amen. Got me breathing with dragons. I cracked the egg in your basket, you bastard. I'm Marilyn Manson. Don't ask for your favorite rapper. He did. Yep, yep. Amen. I know. He did. Oh, sure. Amen. Amen. So, Chris, if you'll entertain a brief tangent, there is definitely, I think, a subgenre out there that you could describe as jazz covers of hip hop songs and or the samples that were used in them. And I'm sure <laughs> that certainly, you know, part of it is that, you know, jazz musicians just grow up listening to a lot of music. And if you have been alive for the last 40 years, you have listened to hip hop to some extent. I imagine, though, there is also pressure, especially on jazz musicians, given the market for jazz, right, which is very niche, to put it politely, that in order to be relevant, shall we say, and I'm, I'm putting, people can't see this, but I'm putting relevant in, squ- in scare quotes, to be relevant to younger audiences, you have to make a nod to hip hop or you have to pander to somehow by making sort of cover songs that people can recognize as, oh, he's doing Farside's Passing Me By, or he's doing the Quincy Jones loop behind Passing Me By, something along those lines. And I think for you as someone who's trying to make it in this business, as someone who is trying to make it in, you know, with jazz, does that pressure exist? And how do you balance out that tension behind, on the one hand, paying homage to the music of what you grew up with, the music that you love, but doing it in a way that doesn't seem too obvious or too easy in a way if that makes sense yeah totally i think um i think yes and no uh firstly i think when you look at somebody like kamasi washington another la artist he's kind of proven the fact that there is a market uh and a viability for for somebody that's just playing pure jazz to actually be accepted and celebrated by by young people um because like his stuff is not really him covering anything it's just you know uh just straight up intense jazz that that uh that these young people are listening to but then at the same time i also think that um you know, Marcus Miller told me uh, once that uh, he compared some of these things to the fact that back in the day when when his parents went to go see a Broadway musical, they could then go down to the Village Vanguard and hear a band play those same songs in sort of a, a more abstract way. And the thing about that is that, like, if they had just seen that Broadway musical, they could they knew the melodies, they knew the songs, and so therefore they could tolerate somebody kind of stretching that to uh, a crazy ex- extent. And I feel like that's one of the things that um, a lot of uh, aspects of jazz education is missing because, you know, we, we might learn these jazz standards uh, that are very fun to play and very important to learn and so on and so forth. But, you know, my little brother, who's about to be 21 years old, has, didn't grow up listening to Stella by Starlight. So therefore, no matter how I play it, no matter even if I put a bunch of, um, you know, like put a beat to it and all that kind of stuff, that that is not a song or a melody that he can instantly recognize. But if I play, you know, um, Hotline Bling mm-hmm. and then start to mess around with it, um, it's the same thing, in my opinion, as somebody taking, uh, you know, I've got rhythm and messing around with it back in back in the day because it's taking a popular song and then taking it and um, and stretch, stretching it out and uh, doing whatever you want to it as a as a jazz artist. 
And yeah. I think that's part of the the sound of L.A. is that our tendency to put a lot of genres together mm. on one song. We see this evidenced clearly in To Pimp a Butterfly. Mm. You have a lot of jazz there, but then you also have like George Clinton. And then you also have like Thundercat. Right. And then you also have like Bilal. And you also have like Ron Isley. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is that there hasn't been... We, we are genre agnostic, right? We put a lot of things together, but jazz keeps floating up in these L.A. conversations, particularly because of Kamasi and because of, of yourself. How do you feel about jazz and hip-hop and uh, the melding of these two things in, in, in a lot of new releases? Yeah, I think it's um, it's kind of just the natural progression. You know, when I listen to Kendrick, uh, it, it reminds me of jazz, even, even outside of the songs that have a, an obvious jazz influence, like the way that he... Um, the way that he floats over the the bar line sometimes, the way that he decides randomly that he wants to add this other element and like layer his voice with another with his voice with an effect on it or something like that. Like it's very it's very similar to the way that that jazz musicians kind of are playing within the form, but it's at the same time disregard the form completely. You know, and I think um, it just makes sense that he would be attracted to jazz and those two two things would come together and and at the end of the day i think jazz artists and jazz musicians and jazz music is is the foundation of of um pretty much everything that comes out of america you know and uh and so therefore like it yeah it just completely makes sense for sure wonder what's behind them ravens eyes of a cow would i understand niggas like the gossip like bitches sip down perion when we finish we say there are certain jazz artists who get described as sounding like jazz, but usually that either means that they use a lot of jazz loops or that they're too eccentric to, for anyone to have a better verb or adjective, I should say, to apply to them. So in, in other words, it gets applied a little bit sloppily. I'm wondering for you, Chris, does Kendrick sound like someone who understands, has a jazz sensibility if, if uh, of sorts? And if so, what does that even mean? Yeah, uh, I I definitely think so. I, I would compare it to um, this story that Wayne Shorter told me once where he said that apparently Miles Davis's bodyguard was a, an ex-boxer and they were having a conversation about boxers and, and this, this, um, this bodyguard said that he felt like younger boxers had um, less moves and, and more predictable moves because they worked out listening to hip hop or listening to R and B or listening to like a much simpler music when his era or his generation listened to jazz while they worked out. Wow. And because of that, that just influenced a different approach to rhythm and a different mm. approach to, um, you know, jazz has such a, a syncopation to it and a disregard for the norm that I think um, that's kind of the biggest thing that I hear in Kendrick's music. It feels very much like, like somebody improvising over a form and that's that's not afraid to impose other things over that over that harmony or or um uh go off on a small tangent and then still come back to the form or do these things that that um that are yeah just for lack of a better term very jazz like you yeah, know and i think yeah. that's that's the thing that that i hear in his his lyricism and i want everybody to view my autopsy so you can see exactly where the government has shot me no conspiracy my fate is inevitable they play musical chairs once i'm on that pedestal frightening so fucking frightening enough to drive a man insane a woman insane the reason so if you had to describe we asked this of all our guests as well mm-hmm. uh, if you had to describe uh, section 80 in three words section 80 of the album in three words what would they be hmm i'd say um honest 
uh, emotional and honest again. <laughs> I know that's that's cheating, but um, but yeah, it's it's just really uh, Kendrick is in general such an honest artist, and I feel like that's that's so lacking, and it's one of the things that speaks to me the most about his artistry that I feel like it can't be you know ignored. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't say jazzy because I would have been a little, <laughs> little, little, little too on the nose. So the next time I talk about money, holes, clothes, God, and history all in the same sentence, just know I meant it and you felt it because you too are searching for answers. I'm not the next pop star. I'm not the next socially aware rapper. I am a human motherfucking being of a dope ass instrumentation. Kick you off. Now fuck them up, Terry. So. That'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Chris Bowers. His most recent release is Heroes and Misfits. Thank you so much for coming to be with us, and we want you to let people know where they can find you. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, you can find me online. My website is just chrisbowers.com. It's Chris with a K. And um, on social media, it's just Chris Bowers Music on all the different social medias. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.